Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. On today's episode of Conversations from Here, I speak with Morty Coyle, singer, songwriter, DJ, proud papa, and captain of what is normally the Fockers, that's Friends of Cantor's Kibitz Room, on Tuesday nights at the Kibitz. We take a deep dive into growing up in Los Angeles in the 1970s and 80s with extended family and friends, hitting the music scene early, overcoming stage fright, straddling worlds in music making and in DJing, his lifelong collaboration with fellow class clown Jordan Summers, being a dad to daughter B, and what's next for All Day Sucker. It's a great talk. I hope you enjoy. Here's me and Morty. Oh, she talks to us. Wow. Well, hello there, Morty Coyle. I am. Hello there, Dana, if that is your real name. Yes. And you know what? I actually have had you on my list for a very long time. I know that you were saying to Brad that. I was offended. I was deeply offended. Why doesn't she ask me? But but really, the truth of it is, I I figured you would have bigger, bigger fish to fry. No, I I, I literally (laughs) I've been standing at the dock of the bay with a with a fishing rod and a hook in my own mouth waiting for Dana to <laughs> to hit me and I, I even asked Brad said he's like you know she you know she has a podcast I go yeah I know she's had a and I listed everybody that was on it and I said maybe she just doesn't want me or maybe it's like a surprise party she's asking everybody else about me and then eventually she's just going to play me all the nice things people say and and then i would go back to bed and clutch my pillow and and (laughs) just gently gently but here all along i i have wanted to talk to you for forever so i love you for doing this and i can talk forever so (laughs) you are in trouble you're in the right place then but I, I wanted to go back to the very beginning. Um, and I always thought that you were an LA boy, but actually you were born in Las Vegas. Is this true? No, it's absolutely, do I have a Wikipedia that's wrong? Is there a, <laughs> that's, you were the first person to ever not know. No, I'm born, I'm born on Hollywood 
uh, in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, what is now the Blue Scientology Building, uh, well, was called Cedars of Lebanon, where also my, my partner uh, in all day soccer and everything since high school, Jordan Summers, yep. is also born at the same hospital as are pretty much every kid in my family up until they merged with Mount Sinai and became Cedar Sinai. And uh, most other Los Angeles kids, especially of the Semitic persuasion, yes. are generally all born at Cedars of Lebanon until like 1970. Okay. So you do have a Wikipedia page that is wrong. I have a Wikipedia page? You do. <laughs> I literally, I, all I can imagine is it's hurtful, horrible things. And I'm going to call my mom right after and ask why she set that up. Or just wildly inaccurate as is. Okay. So I'm impressed. Are you sure it's me? Are you sure it's not? It's, it's supposed to be you, but I oh, okay. All right. I can't rely on these things because it's open source, you know, so I, I, I am absolutely, I, I'm absolutely flattered that somebody went to all the trouble of getting, getting facts about me inaccurately. Well, so, okay. Well, so you are an LA fella and, yes. um, and, and, what, what I love about your story is that so many of your friends whom you've known forever since the beginning, you're, you're still in each other's lives and making music together. Yeah, I, I have been very fortunate. Uh, I don't know. When people are from Los Angeles, and it's an interesting place to be from because it's a destination city, uh, both in just sort of that dream of being in the industry or some facet or in some capacity and also because you know the climate like when people talk about the homeless and that you know everything i go well the reason is you could be homeless all year round i mean i know that sounds weird but it's not like having to get to hawaii to be homeless it's like you can be homeless all year round and the weather never really gets too terrible you know the people don't want to be homeless in nebraska because you die for three and a half months of the year yes. so it's a strange place to be from because you see so many transient, you know, uh, life's, lives coming in. And also when you're from here, there are so many people that leave to go to college or wherever, and then they become, you know, they become like civic hating. You know, oh God, I went to Santa Cruz and LA is a shithole and it's horrible. And it's a, it's, and a, you know, I, now I'm in New York and I was like, you know, okay, well you live in a shoebox. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you live in a shoebox and I, I'm glad I, I love the hustle and bustle of the city, but you got to admit, you know, it's, there's, there, you know, it's give and take. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, sorry, this all a roundabout way of saying, so the people that stayed here, the people that returned here, which are, you know, I'm still friends be, before even the band and that I'm still close friends with, I mean, my daughter's godfather we are fourth generation, the kids are fourth generation friends. Our grandmothers and our, our families knew each other in Israel where my dad was born. Our fathers knew each other. He and I grew up uh, together and on the same block for most of our, our childhood. And then our kids play together. And wow. then the other kids I grew up with in West LA, uh, in my neighborhood, um, I'm still friends with them. I mean, I'm still friends with essentially, you know, all of them. And then when I, you know, when I went to, when I went to high school, you know, Facebook also has opened up sure. the ability, social media has opened up the ability to remain in contact with people that you might not have seen for 20 years or 30 years, but you, you know, what's going on in their, 
lives, you know, to a degree, which really is the, the best function about social media. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then from the band, you know, I've got my close guys and then the kibitz, which was, you know, n- seems longer, but not that long after we got out of high school. Mm-hmm. And so these are, you know, my dad has said that before my dad came to like a party or something. And he said, it's really nice. Your friends, you're still friends with like all the people I knew you were friends with when you were a kid right. and a teenager, the same people that came over, you're still friends with those people. Now you guys are, you know, adults of varying, you know, ages with kids and marriages or, you know, right. whatever. And so, yeah. So, so it's, I can't speak for anyone in other cities. I know there are a lot of people that only see people at reunions or only, or lose touch with it. It's just not how I, it's not how my gang rolls. And it's also not how I am. I'm one of those people, if you don't see me for 20 years and you see me, we just pick up where we left off. Life is just one long day. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't look at it as like, you know, I didn't see you like, you know, if you get to make out with the prom queen, when you guys are in your fifties, I'll still high five you. You know, when I talked to Eitan G, uh, he talked about that. The Jewish rapper. The, yeah, the, yes, Eitan G, the Jewish rapper who was a guest last year. And, you know, he talked about the same thing. He said, he said, I'm, I'm friends with people, even if I haven't seen you in 20 years. And they yeah. said the same thing. I will, we will pick up our conversation right where we left off and it's all good. And I mean, it is a very, it is a, It'll be about Rush. I mean, that's yeah, what the conversation. Rush. That's how it ended and started again. <laughs> yes, but it's we we live in a in a in a strange time in especially in the United States because so many of us have come from other places and we left when we went off to college. If if we did go off to college or 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 if we went to college in our hometown, we then ventured forth as I did. You know, where are you from originally? Well, um, I grew up in Arizona. I was born in the Midwest, but I thought I thought Arizona. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then moved to San Francisco, was there for almost 20 years and then came to L.A. So I, how long did it take to get the flowers out of your hair? Um, it took a while. The weeds and the flowers. Yeah, that's really difficult. It's a lot. It's a lot. You have to find a really a real a, a shampoo that has body, but also, you know, that has enough viscosity to yes, really get I, the flowers I, out. I did find something very peculiar about San Francisco people. They have an attitude about LA, when you say you're moving to LA, yeah. in San Francisco, they're like, why? You know, whereas LA people don't have a reciprocal response to San Francisco. They just don't care. Yeah, they don't, they, they, San Francisco does not trouble us whatsoever. No. <laughs> so it's a very, it's a very peculiar thing. But, you know, we were talking, we, we touched a little bit on the show business thing and whatnot. And your mom, tell me a little bit about your mom. Cause I know that she, she was in the business for a while. Well, okay. yeah, I mean, so, okay. So, so my father, uh, my father, I said, was born in Israel prior to it being Israel in 1940, uh, when it was still, you know, it would have still been, you know, uh, some annexed version of Palestine or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was eight years old when it became Israel. Um, my mom's, uh, born in 45 in, um, Baltimore, Maryland. And then when she was young, moved to Miami beach, she has two older brothers and then a younger sister that came along later. And when they were children, um, they had a, a, a family act. They had a family act called the Three Js, uh, where the last name J A Y. My grandfather changed it from Jacobowitz. It was the, the Three Js. My my mom was a singer. My my uncle, uh, my older my oldest uncle, 
um, was a accordion player and sang. And then the middle child at that point, my uncle Marty was, uh, was a singer, big personality, in, incorrigible uh, up until he's passed away since, but incorrigible through his entire life. Very flamboyant. I mean, later, uh, both my uncles came out after having families. But, you know, when my uncle was younger, you know, he was overweight and big personality and very Broadway and, you know, and, and so they would tour the Borscht Belt, yep. the, the uh, Adirondacks, the, the, the Catskills type places, those in Grosinger's, those places, but also Miami, the Fountain Blue, the, the places that you hear about in the, in the 50s um, when it was essentially still segregated and a lot of it. And they, uh, they did that. Then they got, they did a few singles. You can find them even on YouTube and stuff. You can find these singles of them. You know, my uncle doing like after, after you've gone and my mom singing lead on a couple. There's one, there's a one that's like a tribute to James Dean, you know, and then there's, a, you know, when it was very much of their time, my uncle doing after you've gone and that you know, real schmaltz scene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the blazers with the, the satin, you know, uh, uh, you know, what, whatever, uh, uh, collars and, yep. you know, it was, it was a real scene. And so they did that for a while and then, uh, family got older. They ended up moving to Los Angeles in the early sixties. Um, my, you know, th this point, uh, I, I think there was still music, my other, my uncle went and my oldest uncle went off and did stuff. My younger uncle sort of, you know, went to LA and New York, try to make it do things like that with varying degrees of little success, but, you know, around the business and everything. And then my mom came here and then my mom was singing uh, when she was in her late teens and then very early twenties was singing um, in, a, in a group, an ensemble called the Young Americans. And anybody over a certain age will be aware of it because it was a very, it was like a big ensemble of people, you know, um, matching, I guess sort of like up with people if anybody has like oh, that yeah, recollection. Yeah. But, you know, but then they like backed like Johnny Mathis on some stuff. And my mom had gone on the road with them and done some, and done some, some other stuff. And then um, met my father at, uh, on basically on Sunset and um, Gardner at a restaurant, which now is above like the Mount of Tunis. Um, and I think it used to be Shelly Mann's Manhole, but in the interim, it was a place called Sabra or the Sabra, which uh, in Hebrew, it's a cactus. And it's also what they call Israeli people. And all the Israeli people that came out from um, at the same time, like my father moved, moved to New York first. We moved, he moved a couple of places, moved to New York came out here in the in the late 50s and uh and all the israeli men knew each other and the women too so they all came out and that was a you know a big thing too with being immigrants in a new city and i'm sorry this is a long-winded answer but this no, no, covers this covers all of the back story yes. so it sort of does that so she met my he met my mom at this restaurant which she's being set up on a date with another one of his friends who he's still friends with whose wife is my accountant that's what we do and um they met and my mom kind of gave up singing, but I grew up with my mom's side of the family at all the gatherings because I said all the kids 
on both sides of the family were all born at the same hospital. Basically, all the all the kids of our the grandkids of ours, we all lived in Los Angeles and we all lived not many miles away from each other. So every holiday or every event, there were likely 12, 15, 20 people of our family that was together. So I was never like, oh, those are the cousins that live on the East Coast. Mm, or okay. those are the, I had second yeah. cousins and great uncles and aunts, but everybody in my immediate family and right outside on both sides were all living either right in the valley, not just over the hill or in the city, you know? And so we, we saw each other all the time. So, you know, I grew up on with my mom's side is every time we had family functions, there would be that moment where Uncle Marty would get up and go, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. Turn on the music. We're going to put on a show. And they would put the piano out. So I grew up listening, sitting on the shag carpet under a piano that was painted like the solar system, like something from like Dr. Teeth. You know what I mean? Like just a wild, you know, you know, psychedelic piano. And I would sit there and my uncle would play piano and everyone would stand around and harmonize. And I didn't know until I was in junior high school, I didn't really understand what harmony was. I didn't really understand what all that was. But anytime a song came on, even now when my mom visits or anything, anytime a song comes on or anything comes on, she'll harmonize. Just no matter what it is. We'll be at, like I took her to see Hamilton and we're in the front row and I could, you know, we're like right in, and I hear her say, and I go, ma, ma, you can't, we're, we're at a show. You can't harmonize with what's going on right even under her breath i was like you can't <laughs> you, you know you can i know it's tempting and so my daughter does the same thing to me now like i'll be in the car and whatever comes on the radio i'll do a third just in, reflexively and yeah. she'll just be like stop it Shh. i'm trying to listen stop it <laughs> trying to listen you're ruining it i'm ruining it i'll have you know yeah so you know so to to wrap it up they you know i was around that before before it was ever um before it was ever you know a a um i don't know if you can call it even a realistic concept or a dream or or a direction i was around it so in some way it felt uh, sort of like providence like oh this is what and also you know I, you know i didn't you know there's there was a feeling of my my grandfather i think was a very frustrated he did everything but he was my mother's father was a very frustrated you know he wrote songs and he built bomb shelters and he was a jeweler and he came up with inventions and he then he was a travel agent, you know, uh, for for years. My, my grandparents are travel agents uh, right on Wilshire across from the Bay of Tar Pits. So I felt almost like I'm doing this not just for me. I'm doing this to try to make. And, you know, now that I'm a, you know, utter complete failure, uh, I'm sorry, we can end it right now. Now that I'm an utter complete failure. I, I am now uh, poisoning my daughter to, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I it, it was, it, 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 it was something I just had around me all the time. And I'm very lucky. And yet I, they weren't, my dad wasn't as interested in music just as, as a person, just how he was. And my mom, while she was, I grew up with what would have been considered, you know, maybe soft music of the era. Mm -hmm. So what I grew up with, and fortunately, you know, love you, Ma, what I grew up with, which you brought me till now was um, melodic 
uh, deeply harmonic, deeply melodic uh, music. So Barry Manilow, uh, Neil Sedaka, Captain and Tennille, the Carpenters. Um, and she would tell me, every, you know, this is originally from, you know, this song was originally a song by, um, uh, what's his name, Bobby V. Or this was, you know, this was a, a song by the Marvelettes. They're covering it. This was, you know, Carol King wrote this. And, and so I had that. Baccarat is another one. Yeah, it's a little, that was, that was probably even a little too uh, adventurous, you know, but then I, be, and I, and I, I'll end it with this, my younger aunt, who I told you was the youngest of that family, yeah. who was sort of too young to be in the family act. Mm -hmm. She was like 16, 17 when I was born and she'd babysit, she'd drive me around and through her in the early seventies is where we would drive around and listen to the Beatles and the wings rock and roll. And then the whiz and uh, you know, Evita and hair. And so I got a teenager teaching a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old music. And I bypassed a lot of the stuff my mom was listening to at that point and then cultivated a love for what a teenager would be listening to in 71, Great. 72, 73. Yeah. So I, I was fortunate to get all that. And the music, the music never stopped. Um, and uh, that's the end of the first reel. And if you can now change. <laughs> well, and then and it reminds me a little bit. I, my brother is nine years older than me. So it, I, I inherited his Beatles and his Stones and his Who and his Jethro Tull. Your brother was back home with his Beatles and his Stones. And yes, he never got exactly. Off on and I was in stuff. his room sitting on the floor listening to his records and all that stuff. So that the influence of having a person like with your aunt who was young enough that she was plugged in as a teenager. And then so did you did you form uh the imposters in high school yeah that uh this because, was inevitable that this was going to happen yeah well because and, and, I've, and I've, I've told the story before but just to, to save jordan something when you finally have him on yeah. um so i i you know sang early everything I, I was i was a little kind of you know a little chubby uh <clears throat> kid in my early teens went to busing started in Los Angeles. So I left the school that was in my neighborhood that I went from kindergarten to fifth. I went to a magnet uh, for one year and which was, you know, all different people. I mean, barely anybody from my elementary school went there. And then I went to a junior high school that was a magnet. That was for those that don't know, magnet was essentially set up. They would bring in kids from other areas, a different socioeconomic classes, a different uh, geographical area, geographic areas. And you had to reach some sort of curriculum height to get in, right. you know, whatever they call gifted. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's tacky, but I got in specifically so that my sister who was going into first grade and I, who was going into sixth grade could go to the same school mm -hmm. because my mom didn't want us, they were splitting it up by odds and evens. And my mom wanted us and my parents wanted us at the same school. Yeah. So I went to one year, then I ended up going to a junior high school that was a little farther out of the area. So I didn't see these kids I grew up with my whole life um, until I went, I begged them to let me just get out of the magnet program I was doing terrible in school to go to this school that was in the neighborhood and then finally go to the high school that everybody in my neighborhood was going to go to. Right. So when I went to my junior high school, I loved singing, you know, it was, I always loved everything. And my cousin who is a couple years younger, a few years younger on my dad's side, but who was a drummer, 
Um, I mean, I'm sorry, he was he's three weeks younger, but he was a grade older. He skipped a grade. So he was already at the school firmly entrenched in everybody knowing him and having his band. Mm -hmm. And I showed up there in, you know, eighth and seventh grade and was like, what the hell? And he goes, oh, cuz you want to you like, I know you sing. My band's looking for da da da. And so I, I was like, oh, OK. And by eighth grade, after I had, you know, sort of done like drama and stuff at eighth grade, he's like, you know, why don't you come to the garage with my friends? And they were all like maybe ninth grade, 10th okay. grade. They look like mountains. They look like men. Basically. Yeah, they were They're all men. Like 13. Yeah, yeah, I was I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. I was still <laughs> kind of chunky and uh, awkward. And it was in between like, am I a prep? But then I got like a three quarter sleeve, you know, rush jersey. So now I, you know, and I went to the forum and I saw that tour and I love Queen, but you now, now people are saying I'm, I'm a jerk because I love Queen because they're all, you know, fruits and, you know, and, and now we're all in the priest and Iron Maiden, but that didn't really do it for me. But I, I, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to love that stuff, but if I was honest, I loved Billy Joel. Yes. And I hadn't, I hadn't even gotten to the next, and I loved what I loved. So I, and I loved Prince. And I had the coolest kid who a friend of mine who happened to be black. I mean, it's, you know, he had black parents and so he happened to be black, but I mean, he, he, uh, she used the Eddie Murphy joke, but he, uh, he was like the coolest kid at school. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, you got to listen to this guy, Prince in seventh grade. And I went, what's that? Who's that? What is he? And he goes, he wears his underpants on stage and he runs around. And so I, you know, this is cassette. Yeah. Well, there's this cassette era yeah. and you couldn't hear disparate choices of music right before MTV. You couldn't hear or see disparate types of music on the same radio station or really even the same record collections that most people would have. Mm -hmm. So my cassettes of that era that I got and then because we were you know, listening on like whatever the version of a Walkman was and would. And you know, you'd wait till you go all the way through and flip it. Besides the Beatle ones that I had that came out were 1999. Mm -hmm. It would have been like 82. 1999, okay. Queen Hot Space. Queen the Game from 80 was already ingrained. My, my best friend I was growing up with, we already listened to that with the fireplace pokers and sang along and the Beatles. And so it was Billy Squire, Don't Say No. Yep. Um, it was, like I said, Hot Space. Blizzard of Oz, Ozzy. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, maybe four or five more, but those are the ones that if you looked at what I would take with me if I went on a bus ride or right. on a vacation, it would have been Hot Space, Don't Say No, Blizzard of Oz, 1999. Um, uh, probably, what's the Paul McCartney? Uh, let's see, 70, 80. No, no, it wasn't even Paul McCartney. Give My Regard to Broad Streets came. Yeah a little bit later and then like Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin same, but Ziggy Stardust, the movie, cause that had just come out been re-released. And so the live soundtrack, and I listened to those <clears throat> incessantly yeah, over and over. And those were just, and then show tunes, hair soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so by the time I got to, uh, I, I sang with the guys in junior high school and I had bad grades. I would try to do the talent show and I was still shit scared, petrified on stage, my head down, like holding the mic i took my glasses off at the time and i would have my head down and like this and it didn't matter anyway because they would do like you come on and then you sing tom sawyer 
we'll do 35 seconds of Tom Sawyer. And then you'll do, you know, a minute of message in a bottle. And then it would be then Outlandis Timore and Regatta de Blanc. Yeah, yeah. With yeah, the two yeah. ones also, the police albums. And then and then you just kind of walk off and we'll do YYZ. You know, rush the the, the yeah, instrument. Yeah, yeah. So I come out, okay. and I'd walk off and just stand there while they played the rest of the, of the set. And then my, my grades were bad and I didn't get to do the talent show, which was at a reprieve. And then on the last day of school, when I was in uh, eighth grade, um, wait, seven, yeah. When I was in eighth grade and my cousin was graduating, we performed on the quad and that was my first real performance with a rock band mm. and i and i still scared you know down yeah. at the time everybody was wearing for some incongruous reason like japanese something like somebody had a bandana yeah you know, they saw like a rock band so i was yeah. wearing like a rising sun like i got in venice yes. beach like a rising sun shirt with no sleeves yeah and yeah. somebody had a bandana dimension yeah it was either the union <laughs> jack or the rising Sun yep. and so exactly and then it was you know Def Leppard and earlier so I played there and the set list was like NIB you know Black, Black you know Black Sabbath NIB uh, probably Message in a Bottle Red Barchetta Rush YYZ uh, Tom Sawyer uh, very obvious you know Zeppelin probably like the Rover whatever like of its you know Ozzy I don't know you know, like really obvious early eighties and, 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 you know, and, and advanced for what we were, you know, really trying. Um, and then when I ended up going to this junior high school and I hooked up again with the guys in my neighborhood who now, then I kind of joined their thing and we kind of played together. And once again, was getting ready to do sixth grade uh, to ninth grade. And I got bad grades and they wouldn't let me perform in the thing and I was still scared to be on stage but now you know and there was one guy at our school named Jordan Zevon I knew about I knew who his dad was yeah I didn't know him personally but I saw him walk around they go oh that's Jordan Zevon and some of the other guys that ended up going to my high school were there and this is and, Fairfax High right no this is no 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 I, I grew up in West LA I moved to West LA ah, from Hollywood okay. when I was about four and a half around there so this would have been like you know, you know, you know I, w I went to Palms Junior High School in like Culver City, Palms area. Then I went to Emerson for a year, mm -hmm. uh, which is right behind the Mormon Temple. And then I went to Uni High, a uh, university high school in West LA. <clears throat> so between junior high school and then, I started meeting all the guys and the guys that I played with. Then I go to high school and I just kind of become a stoner. And I'm still trying to figure out my stuff. I'm in like a Jewish youth group and then that's taking up my time. And I'm not, you know, it's, and I'm meeting those guys and I'm doing <clears throat> the end of 10th grade. I'm there. We have a thing called uni Gras. It was like the big fair at the end of, <clears throat> at the end of high school. <clears throat> Sorry. One second. Can we edit that Don? Great. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I saw they had like a band perform out on like the soccer field or pitch or whatever it was called like that and the band were these guys and they had a they had a, a, a female singer as one of the singers the drummer sang the bass player sang female singer and the bass player i knew from junior high school and the drummer was jordan zevon uh -huh. and i only knew of these guys we didn't have any classes together so i didn't really know them in 10th grade 
but they had a keyboard player. They had, you know, guitar player. The guitar player didn't go to the school. Neither did the singer that I remember, the female singer. So I watched them and they were doing like, you know, probably like an English beat song. And then they did like an Elvis Costello. They did Watching the Detectives, I remember. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's weird. That's not why, like we're now, you know, 15, we're 16 years old. And it's, you know, mid eighties. And that's a song from late seventies, but that's not really a radio. That's not really like, you know, guys our age would have at that point then been like, you know, Duran Duran. Right. Or you know, or even, you know, early, like later, like Chili Pepper, like whatever it just started, you yeah. know, just on the precipice of this new thing or rock or metal, you know, metal was blowing up. Huge. So end of 10th grade, I see these guys and I go, okay. And you know, there's that thing in me going, God, I really wish, I wish I could, yeah, I wish I could do this. So 11th grade, I go to school and we, or I'm in English class, Mrs. Fox's class. And my, I think it might've been like third, fourth period. And there's a kid in the class and we just do our thing. And I think we both kind of class clown a little bit, but we have a very similar sense of humor in that way. And I'm wearing my headphones, you know, my little, you know, styrofoam thingies and my Walkman or whatever. And I'm listening to, um, probably listening to, I'm, I know, I always remember it as Revolver. The, I mean, sorry, Revolution, the song Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like singing or humming or something. And he says, hey, do you sing? And I don't know how, I wasn't like, I, don't, I wouldn't walk around school singing, but I was like, do you sing? And I go, yeah. Hey, you were the keyboard player in that thing last year. I don't even know what you guys were called. They were called the new originals, you know, mm-hmm. also ahead of their time, really like already giving an, a, a nod to uh, Spinal Tap. Um, this is Spinal Tap, and I and I go, oh, you were the you were the keyboard player. He goes, yeah, we're looking for a singer. The bass player is the singer now, and so is the drummer. I saw the female, and he goes, no, no, she went to another school, but you know, we we're looking for somebody. Do you want to try out? Do you want to sing? And I go, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I yeah, I sing. I kind of grew up doing it. And I had, so. He said, okay. And I, you know, exchanged phone numbers and he called me at my parents and the bass player was like, why don't you, I'll pick you up. And why don't you, we're going to go to this. We're going to go to where our drummer's grandmother's house, but he lives there with his grandmother. And it's up in Beverly Hills on the way to Benedict Canyon. You make a right on San Ysidro, which is right past like Chevy Chase on the way to Benedict Canyon proper. And then you go all the way to the top of a hill where you overlook a basin, an, a, like an, a, an undeveloped basin of Los Angeles. Then you make a left and you go and you go over a little thing and you go onto a dirt road. And then you continue past sage and brush in the dirt at the top of Beverly Hills that you never knew was there. And you drive around and then you, you keep driving and you go right and you go up a little bit and you think you're going to fall off a cliff, but it's just a little thing. And then you pull up and it's this beautiful old house on a little hilltop with a huge drive round circular kind of driveway, just brush trees around it, nothing in the area you can't there's no neighbors that you see anywhere 
and this big green mass, like with bricks around it, that you sort of drive around on either side to pull up to the house, which I found out later, his grandmother had been like a nurse or carekeeper to an old couple. And as they died, they left it to her. And this big green thing was this big green heart that the husband built for the wife that you could only see from like a helicopter. Yeah. And I, we pull up and there's Jordan Zevon in the garage in like his shorts. I think if I'm not mistaken, killing a rattlesnake, <laughs> a baby rattlesnake. And I had already braved the bass player picked me up and I'm in his VW his probably like early seventies VW bug yellow stick. I didn't know anybody that drove a stick and his Ampeg base rig is in the back, but he can't, I can't put the seat back because it's too big and it won't click. And there's obviously no trunk. So I'm not only going up this hill into the dirt where I'm invariably going to be murdered, but <laughs> I can't, I keep hitting myself on the dashboard, which is made of good German Jew hating, you know, (laughs) infused plastic. And I keep hitting it. I can't put my seat back. I'm uncomfortable. I'm embarrassed. I'm freaked out that I'm about to go sing with guys I've never met. And then I get up there and one of the guys is killing a snake. And then I see the keyboard player whose name is Jordan Summers. And he, you know, I meet them up there and then I see the guitar player that is from the other school. He went to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And that's the beginning of, we still didn't have a name and we kicked around names and we sort of didn't know what we were going to do. And we knew we kind of wanted another guitar player. And there was a younger guy that went to our school, Josh Cremon, but he grew up at the end of my block mm-hmm. on the next block. And through a couple choice events, we started the band and it was uh, Ron Lieberman who went to Birmingham and then Jordan Zevon, Jordan Summers, Josh Cremon and me. We came up with the name Summers had uh, imposters written in a book. I didn't really know Elvis Costello. In fact, I knew a couple of songs. I knew every day, right? Every day I write the book and I knew like, you know, what would have been on the radio, but I didn't really know who it was. And, and I sang with the guys. Um, you belong to me off of uh, 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 my aim is true before um, wait no wait no it's on my it's on uh, this year's model I blanked out no now anyway before I'd ever heard the song I they were like here are the lyrics and this is kind of how it goes so I was already singing, you know, I knew I liked like talking heads. And so we just started doing songs like that. And we, and I ended up kind of sounding like Elvis Costello anyway. And we were a pop band at the worst time to be a pop band because all of a sudden heavy metal exploded at school. And, and I'm leaving out a couple of things. We played with a guy named Max Asher, Max Mazursky, who was in Warren at the time. And then he was a grade above us. And then he, we had like a blues band called In From The Cold, that we had for a little while with great guys at the school. And then that essentially merged into the imposters. And then we were a band for several years and then broke up uh, a few years out of high school. We had a couple changes. What the, what Ken Helmer, who is now my lawyer, our, the band's lawyer was one of the guys from my neighborhood who also played bass. Mm-hmm. And then he was our bass player 
in high school and right out of high school. And then, you know, we, we played and then got back together as the imposters got signed a couple of times, did a couple of records that didn't come out, did some other stuff, broke up. And then it became Jordan and I, I, I started this cover band. Uh, you, you really need to know all of this. I started this cover band called men without sex after the band broke up um, after a bad relationship. And it was me, uh, um, Adam Hamilton, who was a friend on drums, Troy Lush on guitar, who lived with some guy, the Kibitz had already started. Kibitz started in 91. The Kibitz Room at Cantor's Deli, yes. Yeah, Kibitz had already started right over there. Kibitz Room uh, uh, 91 started. And so this was an offshoot. Uh, the Imposters were still a band and we hadn't gotten signed yet. And we met everybody in our, and I knew the Wallflower guys, or I knew Jake Dylan, or I knew Jacob, and I knew some of the original lineup from a girlfriend at the time when we, when they were still like in high school and I was like a year out. And that's also where I met Jay Gore, who I know was also a podcast yep. Uh, yep. guest. Uh, Jay Gore went to Beverly and we would all hang out at the Loris's on Lapeer and Olympic. And I met all these, you know, musician guys and we would all jam together and, you know, drink and get high and hang out and play around. And then I met these guys who became the wallflowers and all that other stuff. Um, and it became uh, a little contingency of uh, contingency, a little contingency of, of, of uh, musicians in LA mm -hmm. that were all about the same age and kind of like the same stuff. So when, when the kibbutz started, it became incredibly popular very quickly. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, these guys did whatever. And then next thing you knew, like the black crows came down and then it was crazy. And these people could still smoke at places. And it, it became uh, ridiculously popular. And it was started by like four or five bands who just showed up there. And then Rami Chaffee, who's now in the Foo Fighters, mm -hmm. uh, had, was just brought in to uh, the, what was to become the Wallflowers. And they were managed by Andy Slater, who, who we knew because Jordan's dad, Warren Zevon, was managed by Andy Slater. Right. And so he knew us when we were like in our teens. And he was only in his 20s. So he would come and see us play at like Madame Wong's West. And we were like Warren's kids band. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We were just yeah. some schmucks. You know, yeah, kids have a band, everything. So he watched us sort of growing up. So when this thing happened and all of us kind of come together, it was just a moment in time mm -hmm. of all of this. Signed, da 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 da. We do the kibitz that has its run. All kinds of everybody gets signed. Various levels of, of failure and those things. Success. People do things. Uh, I I then be, then it becomes a DJ spot. I bring in. I start DJing in like the late nineties, and so, then yeah. Sorry, so, I, I was just gonna, yeah. No, I was going to ask you. Presumably, there was a moment here where you you know you were very shy with the mic and everything at first, and then what was the moment? where you broke through as a, as a singer, as a lead singer, and that you were just doing it. Did I, you know, I think about that. I think about where, I mean, I had what one would call stage fright. Yeah. It's such a bizarre concept to me. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I must've been like nine, maybe eight, nine. And they had like a talent show on a cruise ship we went on like during the Love Boat era. And I remember getting up and singing yesterday. 
not a lot of not a lot of thought and words and very rhymy but i went on stage and for some reason i thought oh i'm going to be in the talent show and i got to the and i forgot the second verse and i couldn't remember it and it was a bunch of yentas in the audience and everything and the you know the guy who's leading it is trying to help out isn't he great you know like you know it's a real <laughs> schmaltzy yeah he's trying hard dude. and my grandma's in the front row going all my trouble seems so far away and i'm that's not the that's not it and so i probably carried that i probably carried a a, a, a distinct dislike for being a center of attention not of my own accord and when i first started singing i knew i had raw material i knew i could sing and you know sorry if i'm going over no 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 I knew I had raw material, but I didn't know. I, 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 I hadn't really harnessed it or really applied. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that that was something I did. And I liked what people who say, I liked what they did. Mm-hmm. I like being a part of that thing. I like being a part. I like the camaraderie. I like being a part of something around music. I liked talking about the minutia of music. I didn't know fuck all about sports. So to me, it was like, Oh, I want to talk like, Ooh, the Beatles. And I knew everything about the Beatles already. And then it was like the monkeys and the, but nobody in my little thing really loved the monkeys. But then you'd find somebody. In the, and then it was like, Oh, what about, and comedy was a big part of it as well. Comedy and, and comics and, and funny and, and everything. And like I said, the same sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, so when, when we played with the imposters once we had a name and we played at Unigra, and i think i was probably still a little nervous i assume i had to have been oh i remember we played i remember we played within from the cold which was like the the blues thing that we played with before the imposters were right at the same time and we played at a like a talent show type thing on the stage in the auditorium, not out on that thing where I had seen Jordan play earlier, where we eventually played when we debuted the imposters, Mm -hmm. but we played on this thing. And it was like, there was also like a funk band, a bunch of black dudes who were like the fucking coolest guys in the school. And there's one guy, I think, I think his name, if I'm not mistaken, his name was Drake until there was a Drake. He was the only guy I knew, but he had like drew on his pants and he designed his own clothes and he dressed like Prince. And I took a lot from that. I was like, oh, I'm going to draw on my pants and I'm going to sew stuff and I'm going to wear stuff. We're going to go to Melrose, which is at the beginning of its infancy of people right. buying thrift store stuff at right. Aardvark. That was in the beginning. Of I'm going to be hip and wear weird clothes to school and nobody. And I'm going to wear dark sunglasses prescription. Now they're not, but prescription. And I'm going to be the only one. And I'm wearing like dark Ray-Bans and my hair is longish and I'm wearing weird clothes and I'm wearing like weird boots to school and I don't look really like anybody and I'm kind of doing my own thing and eccentric and the band is kind of starting up. And so I'm a musician and I guess it was around then that I just kind of went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what I'm doing. And you learn early on, they don't know unless you let them in on it. Mm-hmm. They'll know if you don't remember the words or you stall, or if there's somebody breaks a string and you kind of like, hey dudes, get a beer. You know, you don't know what the fuck to say, right. but they don't really know. 
Right. And you can bring a lot to the table of, you can bring a lot to the table uh, with your surety, with your uh, assuredness, with, with your confidence. Yeah, when you it, own of, it, when you own it, you own it. Yeah. I don't know the words, but I'm not going to go, and I don't know the words, <laughs> and yeah, which is everybody's mistake. It's like, no, make it up. Yeah. Make it up, you know, make it up. Shalala, sing the first verse again. Whatever it is, sing them out of order. Sing the rhymes out of order. Whatever it is, don't let them in on it. Don't let them into that process. Mm -hmm. You can let them into the process however you want, but don't let them into the process of that. And I guess around probably when I, then we started playing like the Roxy and the Whiskey while we were still in mm -hmm. high school. Wow. So, yeah. and these were like, you know, you played to all your friends and you were a little nervous, but there was also this feeling that, you know, yeah, um, this is a bit of the Jim Morrison trip I'm doing right now. And then this is a bit of the Elvis Costello thing I'm doing right now. And then I know Sting does this, but I'm not playing an instrument. I'm just singing. So I know I'm not going to jump in the air like David Lee Roth, but I know that, you know, I can kind of jump around and I could do it. And those are all the pieces mm -hmm. coming together of this is what the Beatles do. They, they bow or this is what this guy does. And, and around then is probably when I just kind of went, oh yeah, this is what I do. And for good or bad, maybe now and then I get a little, like, I'll just feel a bit of the belly of, oh, I know what's about to happen. I'm about to walk out there yeah. and things can go wrong. And maybe that's more about my, my, my trepidation now is things can go wrong. And likely will to a degree. <clears throat> but what I'm here to do is be the best I can do. And I hope as much rehearsal as I put into it, or just as much out, you know, uh, hours in the air that I put into it will just be a part of the process in my head. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't need to count on my fingers anymore. Right. Now I know my times tables. Right. You know, you bring your amalgamation together. Yeah. And now, you know, and yeah. now, you know, now I don't, I could literally, you know, it's, I can walk in front of 20,000 people because it's, it's, I'm more concerned if I have to go in front of three people mm -hmm. because three people, I mean, I don't want 20,000 people to throw things at me. Right. I would prefer the three people in that case, but those three people on a couch, because right. when you're acting or whatever, you, you go into a room. Yeah, right three there. schmucks here and this guy's going like this and I'm like I'm losing him and the other one's on the phone ordering lunch I'm like motherfucker you know I would prefer for there to be a nice sized crowd and I like playing in front of people I like mm -hmm. making as many people either happy or or moving them as much as possible you know that's my own pathology mm -hmm. but you know I, I I in that respect you know I like that but also live you know so yeah, live live thing is a different beast whatsoever. And you mentioned you mentioned DJing. So it's like you bring all these performance uh, chops and amalgamations into DJing as well. It's interesting. It's like a very- yeah, it was weird. Uh, I had done the medleys and stuff that, that kibitz became very popular. You know, that became a big, we called it sort of like the, we'll open with the medley, mm -hmm. which would be us playing as long as we could without stopping. Mm -hmm. and Not trying to the ground yeah never let the balloon hit the ground was the phrase and then it was 
uh, and you know, but in the beginning, it would have been like one five fours, you know, blam, 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 or one four five, and you know, that very simple thing. And you can make a million songs, and now it's like YouTube memes. But at the time, it was kind of like if you guys just kind of cycle, I can make something out of all of this, mm-hmm. and we can keep going. But don't go there with me necessarily. So if I want to go out here in the field, and then I can go into whatever else. And, and then I can go into, well, maybe I can do a song from the 80s. And then I, and then it was, how long can I do this? Oh, we can go three hours without stopping. Yeah. And I don't really need the break because I've kind of trained myself to go a really long time. So we can trade out the drummer. Everybody clap your hands, clap your hands. Yeah, yeah. New drummer comes up. We can trade out the keyboard players. We can trade out guitar players. Other people can come up. But I can pretty much keep this going without stopping. And I'm not afraid of ex- being expressive and, and uh, utilizing whatever you want to say, personality, you know, my, my eyebrows, the cartoon of, of that character yeah. and keep it going. So when, D- when, you know, I started looking at DJing and I went to clubs and there was a club called Martini Lounge. And I used to go to clubs. I was one of the only guys in the band, maybe the guitar player. But I, since I was 16, I would go to clubs and dance, love dancing. And that was a different world. Yeah. There were the guys that went to clubs and then listened to music and da, da, da. And then there were guys in bands. And because of my club connections, I had to start playing as the backroom band at these other clubs. And at the time, they would have like a DJ in one room. Mm-hmm. and a band or bands in another room mm-hmm. and they were trying to just draw people whatever so we played all these clubs in los angeles weird like we played down in you know cover girls you know, on jefferson and we played it you know uh, um fado do and we played at because club you know the the, the roxy the whiskey yep. Madame, all these places started becoming like pay to play and right. they started becoming and they were and they were saturated in this metal scene that we weren't a part Mm-hmm. of anyway all the hair bands yeah which we weren't so where are we going to find people that are now now playing the replacements mm-hmm. and now playing elvis costello and now playing joe jackson and now playing talking heads and you know and all these other things where are we going to find those people well that's or stevie wonder or that's just hip enough that if we're if one guy's in one room djing we can be the guys in the back room playing soul covers and doing Sam and Dave mm-hmm. and then doing, huh, all right. So we started playing at these weird clubs and I was always around DJs and I have tremendous respect for DJs proper yeah. that came up doing it. And I would never deign to pretend to want to DJ ever but I was at a club and I was in the VIP room and the VIP room music was always much more of a disparate blend in D in the DJ. I mean, I, I could name names right now, but it, it'll get in the weeds, but so, whereas the main room would play whatever top 40 and whatever popular music of its moment, if it wasn't a revivalist club, it would play. Right. And then the VIP room would be Roy Ayers and black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, so it was a good mix of funk and disco and rare groove, the Blackbirds, and a lot of these breakbeat songs that later would become breakbeat samples proper. Mm-hmm. And then 
the stuff that the stoners and the guys that I grew up with grew up with. So it would be like a talking head song and then they'd mix it into, and that's where the turn on happened. Oh my God, this is what I do. I make up medleys and they're doing it live with records. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm at the end, I'm, I'm, I'm like in my later twenties and what I'm year there. Is this now what year? This is now uh, yeah. 99. We'd already done the men without sex thing with Dan Rothschild. Like we had already put together this other cover band thing that became incredibly popular we were playing at the Opium Den in Los Angeles on Wednesday nights, and it was huge. Then we played the Playboy Mansion, and uh, it was, you know, it was a big deal. And then I, I, I got Jordan after the imposters had broken up. I said to Jordan, "Why don't you play with us? We don't have a keyboard player, but it probably help us expand." Right now, we're doing like just what I needed, and I'm we're singing and having the audience, and it's kitschy. But you're my one of my partners. Like, why don't you join this cover band? Mm-hmm. And we're playing at the Playboy Mansion. Like, get with us. So he joined at that point. Mm-hmm. Men Without Sex became a five piece. Mm-hmm. So this became the, why don't we do originals again? And then that became what is now All Day Sucker was Mojo Show for a minute. We said, let's take the songs you and I wrote in The Imposters. And so at around that same time, I said, well, why don't we start playing live again? We did a few imposter reunion things. Why don't we play? And by that point, we, when we got back together, we had Noah Shane on drums. And then we had had Paul Gallinato, who I knew from junior high school had gone through it. We had Ken Helmer on bass. Uh, Paul Gallinato played bass. Still one of our close friends who lives in Argentina um, and Brad and everybody knows. We had um, Ken Helmer was our bass player for, for before that. And then we had David Michelle, who was the bass player before that. And then we went through a few different iterations. We had Mott Smith, who I met at the Kibitz room the day that Paul quit. And then same at Peanuts where we were the backroom band when Ken quit, Paul joined the band. I saw him that night playing pole. I was like, hey, you went to Palms and you were a friend of mine. You play bass? I do. You want to join the band? Boom. And then the next time it was, I saw Mott. I Mott Paul quit after Electra record. And I saw Mott at the Kibitz that night. He'd never been there before. And I said, you're great. You, you play in a band? I play in several. You want to join another one? And I saw him and then he joined and we got a deal with, with, with Interscope. And then, uh, and then since then we went through a few, but I knew I wanted to work with Dan Rothschild. Yes. From the Kibitz. I knew, and he played, there's those that don't know, aside from his dad being an incredibly accomplished producer of like an Electra staff producer, did all the Doors records up until LA Woman, That's Janis right. Joplin and all the, yeah. you know, he, I, we met, he came out, his father, Paul Rothschild, came out to see the band at one point to maybe produce us. And he brought his son with him. And he was like, here's Dan. And I thought maybe he's a guitar player. Uh-huh. Ah, he's like, oh, yeah, he's got a good. And then we saw him and he came to the kibitz and stuff. And then we met these guys, Jefferson and Emerson, who had this other thing. And then he ended up joining them and becoming Radio Flyer, which became Tonic. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they had success. So I knew I wanted to work with Dan in some capacity. I said, here's somebody who is absolutely the pinnacle of musicianship, ears, voice, talent, all of it, catalog. He know, I don't need, I don't need to do any homework. I can be myself and I'm completely supported in that. And that was always the dream was like, Dan will never, but you know, he's it. And then he left Tonic 
And I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm in between bands. I don't know what I'm going to, but I want to play with you. So whatever we do. So this men without sexing happened out of a goof of me just saying, I don't care if we're saying covers and we're sitting in a chair. I just want to play with you in some form. And he goes, well, I have a guitar player living in my house named Troy, who's a good guy. And that was it. And we became men without sex and it became very popular. We brought Jordan in. And then uh, right at that time, men without sex was going through all this stuff. I got married, whatever. And then that lasted. And then we were kind of breaking up. But right then I said, so I went to a club and somebody went, Hey, jump on the turntables for a minute. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And this was not heavy duty dance floor. This is the VIP room. Mm -hmm. And this is when VIP rooms were all celebrities and everything. But I knew I could play weird shit. I knew I could play Don't Stop Believing, which at this point, nobody was playing (laughs) because this was like 99 and it didn't have a comeback yet. It hadn't done that. It was 98. Nobody. So I was playing Hall of Notes. You make my dreams come true just because that's what I liked. And I had those records. So I brought in Glass Houses by Billy Joel. And I brought in, which another one of my cassettes that I knew incessantly and Sparks, Angst in My Pants. I always forget those. And I just went, all right, I can get away with it because nobody wants to leave this room because it's the hippest room to be in. Right. And they're not under no pretense to dance. So they're just here. Mm -hmm. And then I watched their reaction. I'm playing You Make My Dreams Come True. And everyone's like doing what (laughs) became the obvious, but nobody was playing it. Now, while Men Without Sex are doing these weird kind of 80s covers and stuff, I'm now playing, I'm now getting better at playing records and I'm playing what I already sing that I know work together. But I'm learning how to beat mix and I'm learning how to play them into each other over here. So in a weird way, I wasn't a DJ that became a singer. I was a singer that utilized all the medleys into becoming a DJ. Mm-hmm. I just needed to get better at being a DJ. Yeah. And that's what happened. When the kibitz started farted out, I was last man standing. And I said, I don't want to kill myself playing to three drunks at, right. a, at a bar and killing myself Tuesday nights for camel, camel dollars and you know a sandwich or whatever it is. So I told a few of these guys, the DJ at this club we were playing, I said, why don't we get a few guys together and let's DJ at Kibitz? What a weird concept. Like, no, I mean, I don't really know of anybody that just took over a bar and brought mm-hmm. in turntables. And we did it on Tuesday nights called WrestleMania. And it was five of us. Um, uh, Han Cholo was uh, Brandon, uh, a guy named Matthew Starr, Matthew, uh, DJ Teenager with Siobhan, and then Zach Rosencrantz, who's still DJ, was, uh, you know, and, and then me. And I was the older, I was already, you know, almost 30 and everybody was significantly younger. And it became, I still think it's the, it's the, it is the epicenter of what now is considered what you would look at on Fairfax as being like the Supreme store and the odd, you know, the odd future collective, everything. These are kids that were kids, little kid, probably the younger brothers and younger sisters of these kids that went to the kibitz when we were DJing there. Mm. And then that became its own thing. That had nothing to do with the band. And then that, I became DJ guy. Mm-hmm. And then nobody knew me. I was DJ Morty Coyle. Nobody knew me as being advanced. And right. then I did that for years. Uh-huh. And then I'm now playing in my original band with Jordan again. But I'm also a DJ, what I'm doing for a living. So I'm in this weird world where the DJ people 
to have no idea that I sing and I write songs. And then that's my love. And then the singing people, the band people don't really get what I'm doing. Right. When I DJ, they're not really getting that. I go to a club. They know the DJs exist, but they think DJs are guys that just go like this with glow sticks or whatever it is. And they don't really understand. (laughs) And so I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of this weird era of being in two different worlds that have almost nothing to do with each other, but are completely intertwined. Yeah. And till this day, I sing and we're doing our fourth all day sucker record right now. And I have done some gigs. Um, And if it picks up again, hopefully I start going back to work, doing DJing again until something else happens. And then, you know, acting and whatever the hell else, writing the stuff that people in LA do. But, you know, that's, that's that part of it. And I'm a dad of an 11 year old and that's more important than anything to me. Yeah. So yeah. and I wanted to uh, also I wanted to to mention your B and Daddy cartoons on Instagram are yeah we light. you 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 sing in the car and and B is she's she's I can't believe she's eleven how did that happen uh, I had sex at one point at least once <laughs> almost twelve years ago and the thing about B is that she's kind of eleven going on thirty seven she's a she's well, a she is very much a ch- i mean she like I don't ever want I don't want her like i we we've explained because her, her mother's an actress, and we've explained that she you know she was younger she I want to be famous or I want to be an actress and she is she wants she she has got the ability a raw ability there mm-hmm. but i i know I knew she was musical, yeah. so I just started this thing of whatever you do, music, uh, acting, whatever it is, it's not just something you do. Right. It doesn't have to be a job. I don't need, you're a child. You don't need to go to work. Mm -hmm. But what I want you to do is I want you to have respect. I want you to have respect for the discipline of what it is. You see me and you hear me do vocal exercises every day, regardless of whether I'm doing it or not. I want you to see that I take it seriously. I spend hours on my craft. I write lyrics. I can spend six hours at a clip sitting there working on lyrics or working on melodies or working on whatever. Or So I want you to have respect for the craft. I don't care what it is that you do eventually as your occupation or your pastime. I want you to, I mean, I care, but I don't, it's not, it, I, that's not the primary focus of what I want. I want you to have respect for it. So if you're going to act, I want you to learn fundamentals so that you are prepared and so that you also give respect to the discipline. And it's the same thing with music. I'm not trained remotely formally. I work out to do it, but I have tremendous respect for musicians, for DJs, for actors, for people that really do it. There's also people that are just personality. And that's its own thing also. I'm much more of a personality than an actor. You know, if somebody wants me, I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. If they don't want me, I'm probably not going to convince them to get me, you know? Yeah. But that's how that's going to go and whatever. And because of that, with my daughter, I knew she sang. So we would sit in the car, we'd get to school early and we would just sit. I, she, I, you know, she'd get out of her car seat and she'd sit in the front seat with me. And we'd listen to music for a little while before school started. And then I just went, well, let's just film us. 
And in, in fact, this last year would have been like five years. I think we started 17 and she was like six years old. And we first just listened and I'd like make a joke and it was like, you know, and then the next time it was maybe we do a little dance to it. And then I started singing it and then she started singing. And now, I mean, I don't even know what to count, like 520 some odd videos later, I moved them to Instagram. You know, they were, yeah. we were just doing them on our page. Somebody goes, you should do them on Instagram. And I went, yeah, but I talk about her school and I, oh, I'll just devote, my page is private. I go, I'll make a public page, just be in daddy cartoons. And it was just a thing to call it, whatever. Because mm -hmm. my daughter calls me Papa. So it's not even that. I just go, you know, I go, be a daddy cartoon. Okay. And then we started doing it. And then people started catching it. And Ozzy saw us do it. And Sharon asked if she could repost it. And then it was, and then all of a sudden it was just like, mm -hmm. and, you know, we have a modest amount of people that seem to like it. And I love it. I mean, I put them up on Mondays and Fridays usually with the most obvious one on Mondays and the more esoteric one on Friday, okay. if there is. And now my daughter has a tremendous ear and voice on her and can sing harmonies. And, and it's very much like me growing up and being around it by osmosis and also by listening. So she'll be listening and she'll say, no, no, you do the harmony on this one. Or yeah, I'll do the harmony on this kind of thing. And I'll be singing with her and go, whoa you're nailing it like you're really so my daughter always said she didn't want to be a singer she's like i want to be an actress you know i don't want to be a singer i want to be an actor i said why not just learn all the discipline why not have them all Absolutely. in your pocket and and she's got she's got amazing chops and that i've been because i've been watching the evolution yeah yeah evolution. i mean you see her over five years you know wow and and amazing. so but yesterday or two days ago we were sitting there we were sort of singing something i was playing her something i go, what about this one do you like this i was playing her and she's singing and then she goes you know maybe i'll be a singer also and i go why oh. not why oh not? yeah she goes i don't know maybe maybe like i bought her a bass for her birthday well maybe i will but that was i just went uh oh oh yeah okay i'm not gonna push you but She's discovering. I I love that, and and I saw this on Facebook. The the, the our Dave Jenkins presenting. Yeah, the, Mr. Menchkins. Hey, yes, I and, and 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 buy all your instruments from True Tone, and yes. Mr. David Menchkin Jenkins will sell them to you, Animal. and they are yes. And 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 her the, and there was one of her practicing in the morning. You come down the stairs, and she gives you this kind of sup kind of yeah. Look, and I she, heard it. She's on it and she's working it through and she's taking it apart and she's working it through. And I thought, wow, that's, and she's just doing this herself. And I love that you, I love that you have that approach where you let her find her way. And because you're not pushing her at all, you're in well, I'm a pain in the ass also. I go right. like, if you're gonna watch videos, try to watch, like maybe we should get into the walking thing. Papa, I want to learn from tabs. Ooh, tabs. <laughs> I wanna learn from the, the, the okay. So, you know, she's now taught herself like here, I just, she, she won't mind me playing you this. I won't show you the video. We don't have the video anyway, but yeah. I like, like I, I played her, uh, where is it? I played, uh, like she was like on the bass and she's like, you know, let's see if you can hear it. You know, like playing a little white yeah. strides. Yeah, yeah. 
You can see it now. Yep. And I also have this fucking, they're like revamping the apartment next door. So it's like, I keep having these bizarre tones of drills. Uh-huh. Uh, they're like weird semitones. So they're like uncomfortable to listen to. Uh-huh. But uh, go through your head. I don't know if you can hear it. Uh, I got to and 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 also um tell me a little bit about the new uh the, the latest from all day sucker i'm thrilled to hear that you're doing another album yeah we, we had, yes our fourth our fourth album so our first one was uh self-titled was one that jordan was the basically the songs jordan and i had left over that we had written in the imposters mm-hmm. you know we had composed stuff with josh also and other stuff but these were like the songs that you know, he and I wrote, and then one that maybe we co-wrote, and then we added whatever it is, four or five songs to that. By the second record, it was all new stuff that we hadn't done, and that was thematic. That was called the Big Pretend, the Big Pretend. and then that yes. was sort of about Los Angeles, mm-hmm. like a love letter to Los Angeles. Yes, we went to go do the third album, and this was like the album of domestic bliss. This was the one of you know, and it was going to be called Denim Days about. Huh? you know, just that comfort. And my daughter was born, I wore denim. My daughter was born with like denim eyes, you know, blue, blue eyes. And I was married and happy. And this was happy. This, my marriage broke up before we finished the album, but mm-hmm. we had all, and so this is like the album about friendship and about love and about being happy and about having kids and about Jordan had two kids and I had a kid. And, you know, this is about all everything. And then we worked on this newer material, which would have been what you would have called like a breakup album or a downer album. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately in the interim of starting to work on this, um, uh, like I said, my, you know, these are songs left over from where my heart was, you know, in a bad place mm-hmm. in my head. And then, you know, but also still having a song about being a father of a daughter. Um, and then Jordan's uh, tragically, Jordan's wife, Tia, passed away, yes. who was, he and I had met her in college at the same time, because he and I went to SMC for a minute, and we took a class, and then she was there with her friend, so we met her at, like, in class, first day of speech in, you know, at SMC, mm-hmm. and pretty quickly, they became a couple, and then I met, like, my first real girlfriend, at the same time, exactly the same time, not there at, through the d- club scene, ironically. Mm-hmm. And he was with her pretty much from that point, which would have been 88 yeah. you know, until 2020. Mm-hmm. Every relationship I ever had in my life happened in between him meeting Tia, mm-hmm. and then her passing away. So I compared every relationship I ever have to, oh, this is the perfect whatever. And now armed with my tragedy, which is in the big picture, not as bad as that. And then armed with his tragedy, we were like, let's do another album. And there isn't anything overtly about that, that reflects that when he's ready, he'll go there. Mm -hmm. But we had all these other songs that we'd been working on that were in this vibe. 
So after Echo in the Canyon and everything, Jordan said, I'm going to get Dave Way, who uh, worked on, produced with Andy Slater, the Echo in the Canyon album and a billion other film. Yep. Yeah. Documentary. And he's, he's going to do the record. We're going to do it at his place and we're going to record with him. And now, uh, as far as I know, you know, COVID happened and people kept yep. getting COVID. And kept getting, so at this point, the main players on the record are, are uh, and then by, by this point, Dave Goodstein is playing drums with us. David Goodstein's in the drummer. So we have David Goodstein on drums, Dan Rothschild on bass, and both of them on, on vocals, substantial backup vocals and vocals. Um, Jeff Perlman, who was in the Echo in the Canyon band, yep. um, primarily playing, you know, most of the guitar in that mm-hmm. um, and on vocals. Uh, Jay Gore, who prior to that had played main guitar with us, came yep. in and played with us. Fern, Fernando uh, Perdomo, yep. uh, Fernando Perdomo, <laughs> who was also in the Echo in the Canyon yep. and, knew, and knew Dave in New Goody in Miami, mm-hmm. plays guitar on it. And me and Jordan. Yep. And Jordan Zevon doing backup vocals, who basically he and I did all the stuff on The Big Pretend. And he's always been in our fold as the sixth all day sucker at any given moment. And then when he did his albums, which you can find if you can look around and on Spotify, which Jordan Summers and I and the other guy contribute to writing with and for as well. So it's our family. You're talking about the, these guys that are in our, these, this is our, this is our families of family of musician guys. Yeah. You know, these are the guys that are in my world. If something happens, you know, we go to each other's life events. We are there for each other in that case. And then when we go to do this record, you know, the whole record's done. It hasn't been mixed yet. Um, hopefully in the next month or two, I mean, we're recording this now in what, like, near the kind of end-ish of January. Mm-hmm. So the records, it's 12 songs. You know, as everybody says, I'm very, I'm very happy. I'm very proud of what we've done. I, I do feel very disconnected from it in a healthy way because I recorded a lot of it live with the guys. And then we did some, you know, I did some vocal changes in spike, but I don't have no idea eventually what it's going to sound like because I, I normally i'll take home things every day yeah. and it's like here we added a guitar part now i go home with the guitar part and i sit and i listen and i'm very removed dave and jordan are essentially taking the helm on it and i'm okay with it and it's a good power list let it go i know i trust these people you know i said just don't make me sound fat and we're good and that was uh you know, I'm very anxious to hear what it sounds like. And now Jordan and I are just fighting over what to call it, what the front of the album is going to be, if there's even a hard copy available to anyone these days. Um, don't know anything more than that because the record industry doesn't really exist. But who knows? Maybe it'll be an independent release or it'll, you know, just go to Spotify and whatever else. And then we'll be, it'll be available on all platforms as the other three albums are. And uh, I'm just, ex- I mean, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting. It's I, you know, I have to tell you, stuff. When, uh, when Brad and I do our little weekend driveaways and we, we go on adventures on the weekends these days and um, usually, usually to the coast on Saturdays and to the mountains on Sundays. And in our playlist in the car, 
is All Day Sucker. Oh. And these songs come up and every time they do, I look at Brad and I say, we need to hear more of this. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and I just love your stuff so much. And, and so I am, I'm, I'm over the moon. Well, we're neoclassical, we're neoclassicalists. You know, we, yes. we, we, we bow at the altar of the music that the pop music that we loved that has given so much to us. You know, there's a song on, here's a song on the last album called Listening to the Liars, which is um, another one of those ones, which is, which is a, 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 an ode to the guys that make songs, mm -hmm. you know, like we know already what, what, what the business I am in, the business we are in is advertising. Mm -hmm. I'm advertising, you know, Coca-Cola has a pretty big market share of the soda industry. Yes, there's Pepsi. But Coca-Cola never needs to advertise ever again. They don't need a new slogan. They don't need a new, pretty much we know what Coca-Cola is. Right. It's, it's the, the same thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same thing with love. Same thing with love. It's the same thing with heartbreak. It's the same thing with, with uh, fear. It's the same thing with hopes and the same thing with dreams. Do we need another song every year about love? Not really. You'll have them forever. We've only just begun. Is anybody going to top? We've only just begun. Is anybody going to top? I get a kick out of you. Is anybody going to top? Like, are they? Are they going to top yesterday? Are they going to top? But we keep doing it because what we're doing is we're advertising emotions. Right. And we're right. advertising feelings. Oh, <laughs> we're advertising warm laps with pupples in them. With, <laughs> with sweet doggies. Yeah. So I'm in advertising. That's really what it is. I'm selling you that which you have freely already participated in and will participate in. I'm just trying to come up with a clever way to hand it to you, which is why the people that we love, the Elvis Costellos and the Joe Jacksons and the Squeezes and the XTCs and, you know, the Beatles and the Monkeys, and the, but also the people that came from them, the Brill Building people, the Tin Pan Alley writers, the, the Cole Porters and the Johnny Mercers and the, the Gershwins. And that's why that's where, you know, that's who Billy, Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, mm -hmm. Paul Simon, uh, um, uh, you know, those are the people I look at and I go, well, how did you do this? Because even when I was a kid, they didn't need new songs. Mm -hmm. They had all of them. They, they didn't yes, need they had them all. Yeah. I said, what? And so that's, those are the people that we connect to. And even today, if I hear a turn of phrase or, a, you know, besides stuff that just turns you on sonically or, you know, melodically, if I hear a turn of phrase, I go, ooh, man, that, who did that? What, what are those guys called? Or what's that? Who's that woman? Mm -hmm. What did she come up with? Oh, wow. I'm jealous. That's good. And they and, all build on each other. That's the beauty is that you can see the, you can see the acorn and the oak. Cause yeah. You I, and years. you know, you know, and you know who you, we get older. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm older now. I know who, it, I know who people are, you know, cause now people are into the people that were already young when I was young or, or mm -hmm. old at the time, you know? So now we're already looking at the wave of like young people that Fiona Apple was an artist before they were born. Right. So I know. now, Fiona Apple, she's 23. No, she's not. She's yeah, uh, like, yeah, she's in her 40s. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, she's there, she's their Carol King. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where Carol King had already had 
all of her Brill Building success and everything. So when we were kids, it was tapestry and she was ubiquitous with the early 70s. Yep. But she had had an entire life yes. and then became... So that's what it is. I'm watching these people and I'm like, oh, you're just, so I get to turn my daughter onto a lot of material that, I mean, a daughter's born in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm still wearing clothes from 2010 <laughs> and not ironically and not because, you know, I don't, I, but because they still fit me and they're not worn out. Right. You know, so I, you know, I, that's, that's where I get to turn her on to stuff. And then I get to see her and I get to go, here's a song from before you were born, but only a few years before you were born, that isn't, that is, that is relatively recent, but how does this, how does this appeal to you? But I'm also playing you what I think is a direct lineage from those. So I will still, to, to this day, I'll hear something. And, you know, now there are a lot of songwriters. I mean, that's, Jordan knows, and I've said this, the shelf life of a singer, shelf life of a personality, the shelf life that I'm not an actor on stage where I can become a grandfather and people are excited to see a 70 year old singing. My, my dignity, notwithstanding, the shelf life of being a guy that jumps up and down on stage without having had a, a modicum of success is nil if limited in, in any capacity. But a songwriter, can age to a degree gracefully. Mm -hmm. Diane Warren can age because nobody cares what she looks like. Nobody cares what she's wearing. Nobody cares what her hair looks like. Nobody cares what, as long as she delivers. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think more than anything, if you're out there and you're a musician, cover our material, let us write material for you. Because I don't, I'm okay with not being a performer I can always sing with my friends, which is what I've done this whole time. Right. If I'm not going to play for anyone, I'd rather not play for anyone with the people I love. You know, I don't need to. But if I'm going to write that, I want to do to the best of my ability. And that's where I strive. And so I'm very proud of the work we do of writing. Jordan is probably one of the most gifted melodicians I've ever met still to this day. and most of our writing style or technique, not that you asked, but there are things we'll all call them up and all hum stuff. And then he'll be like, oh, this is kind of what you're doing. But here's a line I haven't. But most of it is him playing me something with dummy lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, huh. And either I'll take one word or two words or a phrase that I think is the best thing there that, and it germinates with me. And then I'll write a song over it. And I've learned not to argue with what he plays, not to say, yeah, that'll work, but we got to completely change. Like we might rearrange, but that'll completely, I go, I got to trust your instincts as, a, as, as somebody who is adept at melodies. You really, this is not, if I have anything that is built in from years of being a class clown and writing, and you have that in the same way musically where you play something and I go, wow, that's good. Wow, that's really good. Or I don't have my teeth into that yet, but let me have it for a while and listen to it. Ooh, that's good. That, ooh, and I know exactly what I have that can work with that, that I'll shoehorn or I'll make work or an idea that I want to get across. And, and it's worked like that now for you know over 30 years. 
And I mean, we likely have enough for another album already. Jordan doesn't want to hear me say that ever because we're already deeply mired in this one. But I'm like, dude, we could do another. I mean, if we had to, somebody said, here's a bunch of money. You need to do another record right away. We could put together another 12, 15 songs, Mm -hmm. you know, from what we already have working on. Well, I I hope you do. I, I, I trust me when you get Jordan on, tell him that all, all I want to do is write. I'd love to do a musical or musicals. I just want to write. I love made to order. I love working with other people when they have just an idea or when they have just a few words or they have a melody. I love, I love working. I love the collaborative aspect. I'm not talented enough as a musician to do it by myself, but I also love the collaborative thing of, Oh, I've got this thing I never could put words to. Every to writing to me is a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Writing to me is a puzzle. I know the meter, I know the scan, I know the rhythm, I know basically the syllables. What can I get away with within this? This and how do I tie it together? And how does verse one match with verse two? And how does where is the internal rhyme scheme happen? And is it mathematical? And it and you'll go through and I'll sit with you in terrible even worse than detail that i've given you today i'll sit with you in one of our songs not now and i'll go do you notice this internal rhyme look at the words here though these words are the same word rearranged mm-hmm. you only know that if you read it nobody is ever going to know this this is shit nobody cares about but if you also look at this uh here i use oa but then here i use ao Mm-hmm. And then over here, I use the same thing, but now I've flipped the consonants mm-hmm. and now I've, but it still rhymes because I got this out and this is one of my favorite couplets. And it's like that, that's how deeply ingrained I get in that. And it's not because I just think better of myself or I'm that much better than anyone else at it. It's because it's what I love so much. It's like people that get into any dogma at all that they're absolutely, whether it's, you know, sobriety in the program or whether it's, it's, you know, history and they want to know every Churchill quote and every, you know, every diary he wrote and they, you know, or music or sports. I, why do you need to know all the, the games happened? Oh yes. But in 1987, you know, Don Drysdale or whatever the fuck it is. They know hey, I'm like, why do you, how do did that, like, I can still sing a Beatles song. Like, I played a Beatles song when my daughter was, but do you play like an old Vikings game <laughs> at your wedding? You know, did you, you know, right. do you, do you know, do you put on, you know, Chick Hearn, you know, right. doing a play by play of the Lakers while you're, you know, christening your thing or in the, in the Some you know, people might. <laughs> I, yeah. And so I didn't, that's right. That's the thing to me. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm a lifer. I, I, yeah. I, I will write forever because it's just what I do. And like I said, with comedy, I, I never did it seriously. I admire it. I've always been in some capacity on the periphery. But even that I sort of have there out there sometime. I'm like, I know I'm clear, funny. I can do it. But at some point, I'd really like to maybe do some stand-up. Mm-hmm. Just because I know I'm not afraid on stage. And I know that if I have the discipline of having the material together, I don't want to deal with hecklers. Like, I don't want to have to come up with shit. And I know it's, but I'm just like, I, I'm not even going to dignify. I just want to, I want to know what that's like. Cause I've done it a little bit in hosted nights. I said, 
I'd like to try that. That's the other thing. Cause it's the same. I, George Carlin is up there with words like the parodist. I grew up with parodists. So Alan Sherman, I know everything. Tom Lehrer, mm-hmm. uh, Weird Al Yankovic later, yep. but yep. Dr. Demento, listening to Dr. Demento, mm-hmm. the people that, but mainly Alan Sherman was probably one of the most profound influences because he took material that at the time, some of it was new, but some of it were like standards. Mm-hmm. And he came up with new you know, words that were very Jewish. So that appealed to like my upbringing of what I knew about yeah. the Yiddish and, but also incredibly clever, never broke scam. He didn't have to break what was about the song that was great. And he tailored his humor and his lyrics to what was already there. So if there was a line that was there, the phrasing of it mm-hmm. had new phrases dropped over it that worked as well that worked in the layer of it was funny because it was funny it scanned and it and i'm getting real deep in the weeds but it's what i looked at and i go oh my god what a what an incredible influence i was allowed to have in that way because it taught me in songwriting, if Jordan gives me something and I hear I can write to that. Mm-hmm. And then I can make it work in that to what I need it to be, which is I don't want to screw the melody up. And he has a great melody right here. So what can I do with this? And not ruin the integrity of his thing, but bring what I do to the table. And I look at people like Alan Sherman and I go, you had to come up with something on top of old smoky. Da, 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 da. Well, that's the gift, and that's the gift of collaboration because you each bring you and Jordan bring together your 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 talents that complement each other so well. And the sense of humor across the board, and as you know, from Brad. And yeah, Jordan and I are Jordan is what I would look like if I had impulse control. Like Jordan is. <laughs> Jordan is like our our minds are like if I had like I've said if there's anything I'm more proud of than my daughter and the work the 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 songs we've written is our text thread I would donate to the Smithsonian <laughs> it is some of the funniest stuff I've ever read it's it's impossible because we also are you know it's we 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 would be we would cancel each other and then ourselves and then everyone else and cancel. Well, yes, and, and of course, when 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 one knows Jordan Summers, one knows that he has the face of an angel and and the the mind of of the worst kind of filth. That one yeah, and he's so. and, and it and it's like you know you you expect it from me, but him, you know, that's what it is. People look at me Jordan? and they no. yeah, they look at me and they go, oh, he's you know, so people come to me and they go, you know, he's funny. And I go, uh huh. You know, I, if I can make him laugh, you know, because everybody has to have a barometer. Yes. They're easy marks, easy audiences. But <laughs> if I can make him laugh, if he thinks something's clever, and he'll call me out when it's not, and decidedly so, and I'll still rebel against it, I'll be like, fuck you. That's the lyric. Don't you ever, you can't change it. I have integrity. Don't you, you wouldn't go up to and tell you can't. And uh, he'll be like, yeah, it's just not one of your best. You could do better. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, try better. Mm-hmm. No, 
you, you suck it. I don't want to, don't you dare. And I storm out and I yell. And then I go, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, you know, you know what? I, I yeah, I'll, yeah, that is it. That's, I came up with a better line and it actually works on this level over here too. Okay, I was wrong. And you this know, is why there's going to be at least a fifth. I hope, <laughs> I was ready to break this up into two and add like one song or just do two EPs. I mean, I'm still trying to talk them anyway, but at the, it'll, it'll probably be just a really solid, a really solid record. The songs are not as long as the other song, as the other record. So it's 12 songs. And, you know, I, I uh, we don't know what it's going to be called yet, but we're kicking around it. And so, uh, but yeah, Jordan is, Jordan is, um, you know, is a great, is, is, a, is a great person to sort of bounce things off of. And we have the same, most of the same sensibilities or they're so closely aligned that we really don't have to, we'll make the same joke. We don't have to. And I think it's most like what I've heard of with Donald Fagan and, and Walter Becker, mm -hmm. where they don't really need, do I need to? No, you don't need to. Okay. <laughs> so he and I could sit it's in the done. room. We don't need to do it. Yeah. Do you need to want to say, no, no, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, we'll look at each other and just be like, uh-huh. And I see that. I see that in them. You know, I go, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's, I see where Becker and you, and I'd see them in the studio and you'd see them kind of, and you know, we'll, we'll hear a guitar part or we'll hear like a solo somebody plays and he and I'll look at each other and go, that's the one. Mm -hmm. That's the one. That's the one that clicked. Did you, you woo. That's the one, right? And, and we'll kind of know, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll still shake my fist and be like, I don't, can't believe you're having me sing that line again. How do you want it? Well, here's the cadence of it. No, you can't, nobody can ever sing it. Nobody's going to sing it. And then I go, I'll do it your way. And then that's the way I'll sing it forever. And I'll oh, be like, okay. hey, you're right. You're right. right. You're right. You're right. Uh, Don't play him this. Don't he'll, he won't listen anyway. So no, no. Well, I can't wait. And, and I, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I'm sorry I went so long, but that's who oh, I am. Oh, no. I love it. I love it that you did. I love it. The good thing is my daughter is 12 now. So that's the important. No, I'm kidding. 12 uh, <laughs> I'm saying like. 11 going on 40. Yeah, when I started. Yeah, when I started, you was. So, yeah. So, we, yeah, the new All Day Sucker thing will be out there. I, I'm not sure what it'll be called. But once COVID has blown, <laughs> blown over and hopefully everybody is still standing and everything, they can get back to mixing it. And we'll finish it in the next hopefully the next month month and a half or whatever it is and uh i don't know what about playing live because i'm still very skeptical and scared of us well, having we'll come out we'll happens but... but more than anything i i'm i really appreciate you you uh allowing me to to be uh, uh indulgent and extravagant um it's so rare that i get any of these thoughts outside of my head so that's, you know, it's good to just sort of blast them out there. And at some point, this is just the definitive history of whatever. Yeah. And it goes and I, out to the world. I'm not needed anymore. I've now oh. given you my oral, I've now given you my oral history. Uh, we need so, you. We need yeah. You. So anyway, I really appreciate that. And anybody listening, if you've made it this far, what's wrong with you? And live <laughs> long. And uh, please go see all, all of the Fockers, which is the Friends of Cantor's Kibitz Room. Yes. Everybody is talented in their own way. Uh, follow all of them. In the, we mentioned David Jenkins, Alex Labrowit, uh, uh, great chef, key, uh, you know, uh, percussionist. JJ Blair. Brad, yeah, JJ Blair, who we do FF5, or I don't know, we've done it for the last two years in, in quarantine. Um, 
We do, sorry, one sec. We do FF5 on Tuesday nights uh, with a distilled version of the Fockers called, um, it was Fokker, Fokker Force 5 because JJ Studio is called Fox Force 5. And it's Dan, uh, David Goodstein, or at various times, Tom Polche, another one of us. Um, uh, um, uh, who else played with us? Uh, uh, Nick Vincent. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Jordan, of course. Well, yeah, it's Jordan. It's me, Jordan, Goody. It's essentially the four of all day soccer with JJ. Mm -hmm. And then when Goody can't do it on drums, it's these other people mm -hmm. that have played uh, um, uh, uh, Shea, Goodwin, Shea Godwin. Um, uh, I'm blanking. Oh, my God. How come I'm blanking out on who else played? Uh, uh, Dan Petrush. Uh, and, you know, these other guys. Are play I'm going to hate myself if I miss anybody. And then Rick Torres mm -hmm. is one of our guitar players at the Kibitz. Uh, Brad, Brad Watson, your yes. wonderful uh, fella, Lovely is song. is keyboard player and singer who plays with uh, um, the Doors band Peace Frog, mm -hmm. and various and, other and uh, and uh, Petty or Not, Tom Petty or Not, and yeah. is he is he still with Josh? Are they still doing that thing or um I haven't really been doing a whole lot lately. Okay, but but uh, but yeah, but yeah, many many things. Many yeah, so he's yeah he's doing that so. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to miss anybody. And I know there's, you know, uh, there's all of our, our little gang of people. But, you know, it's once again, these are still our core of my guys. And I'm still blown away that I, I can I can not just play with and work with, but that I'm in some way respected. I'll say tolerated in some way. <laughs> I'm tolerated by musicians that I have the utmost respect for. And this is back to my daughter and the discipline. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the only reason I wanted to be famous besides what I thought of when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and I use fame as just the, 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 the word, was so that I could play with other musicians and be in that echelon, that I would be taken seriously by other musicians that I had tremendous respect for. Didn't matter if my talented matches matched with theirs. It was that I could, I could play in that world with them and I could converse in that world with them. And we could both say, you know what that's like, you know what that's like when you have a bad audience or, you know what that's like with, and that's it. That's all I've ever wanted. All I've ever wanted to was to be accepted in the thing that I love that had given me so much pleasure and to be able to give back. And if it doesn't work in pornography, then maybe music. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I had to it's end it with that. It's fellowship. It is. It is absolutely, and you know, and I was, and I, if you're out there and you're doing anything artistic or in any capacity, or you're just surviving and getting through the day, I respect you. I respect you because I know what the human condition is like. It's not easy. It's not even when it's easy. It's not always easy, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it takes a lot of navigation. And I hope you guys can find some center and have people around you that I've been fortunate enough to have around me. One of which is. Dana Ziegler and her wonderful podcast called Conversations from Here with Morty Coyle and Dana Ziegler. Thank you Thank so you, much. Morty. Thank you, love. And that was my epic talk with Morty Coyle. Thank you so much, Morty, for your time today. I had a wonderful time. It was great. It was like being at the Kibitz room again, almost. Special treat for you listeners today a track from All Day Suckers. 2009 release the big pretend the track the man i hope you enjoy it take good care of yourselves take good care of each other 
And as always, I will see you on the other side. Here's the man. Thanks for listening, everybody. Than the flesh of an alligator pair And if you knew better You'd have bet it was about a earthquake weather I've been reading Raymond Chandler And I've been listening to the fire sign theater Like a private icon in my bed on the cover. Wish I was deep as you must think I think I am. I can sleep all day because I am the man. Yeah. Strings of my Tijuana poncho I realize no pride or privilege Is giving me head honcho And when I've had enough of all this sunshine stuff I ditch my car and make my pilgrimage Down Wilshire Boulevard And climb into the top It's like the smile of dawn And go down smiling Yeah.